Welcome to the podcast of Revival Fires. As we pursue Jesus, our vision is to build a community of believers who are present-centered, people-focused, and community-oriented. This message is taken from our Blueprint series, a journey through the book of Acts. We really believe that you will encounter Jesus through this teaching today. We're going to be taking a journey through the book of Acts. Why? Because Acts is a blueprint of God's body on earth. As we read through what the church did in Acts, we can discover what God's plan for our lives is in in the day and the age that we're living in. So we're coming into blueprints. You're going to hear a lot of different people sharing throughout the book of Acts. There's going to be many different speakers as well, and it's a privilege for me just to kick this off. But let me tell you, friends, read the book of Acts when you get home. You can read the whole one today if you want and go back and read it again tomorrow. But let's spend time reading through the book. It's not going to be this, one of those sermons where we go chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. We're going to let the Holy Spirit lead us and take us on a journey. And, and why blueprints? I found myself when we were look, getting, getting ready for this, just I really felt the word blueprint because it's a copy that God wants us to run with. But do you know how blueprints are blue? Do you know how they work? A blueprint is a master plan. What happens is an architect will draw up a design. And listen to this. A design, it's a vision of a reality that they want to build. It's an imagination from his heart that's communicated onto paper that through the process of a blueprint results in a 3D actual physical manifestation of a vision. Okay. An architect will draw a, blueprint, will draw a plan and then in order for all the different people to run with that plan, this is way back when, I mean, we're doing history lessons today now, aren't we, Dom? We're talking about cassette tapes and <laughs> photocopiers and all those kind of things. Before all of that, they invented this paper that if you put it against the master's plan, and get this, I love this, if you shine a light on the paper, it would transfer the design, the negative image of the design. Wherever the light shone, it would turn blue. And it was accurate. And you could take that pattern and you could give it to the bricklayers. You could give it to the painters and the decorators, the people putting the windows in, the people putting the floors and putting the electricity in. And they could all see the plan, the vision that the master builder had for that house. I believe when we go through the book of Acts, what we see is the architect, Jesus Christ, God our Father, is giving us a plan for what he wants the body, his church, on earth to look like. And we get to run with that. Here's the thing about God as well. Just look around. Just, just look around at the people around you. You guys are nervous to move your heads. Yeah, go on. Have a look. You're a beautiful bunch. God is not a cookie cutter God. God is not a carbon copy God. Every one of us is unique. And in the same way, he's got a unique plan for this body right here in Dudley called Revival Fires. He's got a unique plan for us to go about his work here on earth. And he's giving us a blueprint. So that's what we're doing. We're going to look at blueprints. It's how we turn a dream or a drawing into reality. One of the things that acts uh, that Elaine said, I love this. Let me just quote this to you. The construction height site for the house of God was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. Have we got some hard hats on in the building today? <laughs> you guys got your, your, your shovels and your trowels? We, are you ready to build? Yeah. <laughs> Anna's, I love Anna. Anna's got a blazer on. She looks more like a site manager. Oh, high vis <laughs> I'll turn up in a high vis jacket next week. How's about that, guys? 
as an in-joke. If you know who you are, you know who you are. Come on then. So the construction site for the house of God was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. So what we're going to do in this series, here's what I'm going to just put out some of these themes. We, the church. Say that to everyone. Say, we, the church. I know I'm talking about a building. You know that this building isn't the church. We are the church. God's blueprint is for what? It's for our hearts. That's why it's so important even in worship today that God ministered and removed things from our hearts that we've laid down. He's removed things from our past. He's removed things that we think would want to hinder us for where we're going because these blueprints are for our lives. We the church, we are going to be a church of power and authority. We're a church. Oh, you want to follow me, do you? <laughs> we the church. Okay. You don't have to repeat everything now, but I do like your enthusiasm. We're a church that follows the Holy Spirit. We're a church that builds authentic community. We're a church that is unstoppable by the opposition, the conflict, and the persecution that might come and be thrown at us. We're a church that links God's past with God's future present. We are a church that knows the patterns and the rhythms of heaven. Oh, we're going to have a fun time going through this, friends. We're a church that knows how to step into the revelation of God's strategy, teaching, and doctrine. And we're a church that takes cities, transforms cultures, and stirs nations. I think there's an amen in the house today for that. Lord, would you, would you make us into that body on earth that we can take cities, that we can take cities for you, Jesus, that we can transform culture, that we can even see nations stirred for your glory. Amen. amen. All right, Acts 3. Let's get there. I said we're not going to do, we're not going to start at the beginning. Elaine's already done Acts 2 last week. Let's start in Acts 3. Are you ready? I'm going to read to you Acts 3 from verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, who they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began to ask them to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. Say it out. Say, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk and seizing him by his right hand raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened and with a leap he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God thank you Lord Jesus a church of the supernatural power of God and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg arms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'm just going to stop there on those 10 verses. I want to unpack a few things as we begin this that I really believe God is speaking to us. How can we learn from this blueprint and be a church that moves in miracles, signs and wonders and kingdom expansion? How can we be a church that is modeled after the call and the pattern that God has planned for our lives? Isn't that amazing? God's got a destiny for us. The first, the first point is this. 
And it's these two guys. Have you noted how many times the name Peter and John was mentioned in these 10 verses alone? Peter and John, two names. Now, it's not by any coincidence. These two guys, obviously we know that they were the 12 apostles now, the 12 disciples that had been with Jesus for the last three years, following him, learning his ways. It's, it's mentioned earlier on in books of, uh, of Acts as well that they were noted by the authorities as having been with Jesus. You see, God is linking a tapestry together this morning. Even what we prayed for in worship, he is with you. We have been with Jesus. But these two characters, Jesus had used at many points throughout his ministry. Do you know that when Jesus came to found them, Peter and John, they were partners on a fishing boat. The two had worked together. Can you imagine you with your colleagues, how that relationship is? There's often a lot of good friendship. There's often a lot of uh, things that you know really well about the other person that maybe annoy you. Sometimes there's a little bit of competition. All of this stuff is going on. And Jesus asked these two in Luke chapter 22 as well, verse 8. He asked these two to go and to prepare the Passover for him. It was these two as well, if you read in John's gospel, who ran. They were the first after the ladies had come to the tomb in the garden when Jesus had been resurrected and the tomb was empty. It was these two that ran to the tomb. And John makes a point of saying that he got there first. Don't you just love these little nuances in the Bible? I read it and I think, okay, thank you, Lord. If you could use John with this little competitive streak, this little nature he's got, you better believe it, he can use me and he can use you. That's what he can do. And I just, just as I'm praying and reading through this saying, Lord, what is the pattern here? What do you want to teach us about this? And he said, look at these two people. So John, as well as being the one who was a faster runner than Peter, what else is said of John? John says of himself that he was the disciple who laid his head on the chest of Jesus. John was the one who had his chest on, his head on Jesus' chest. And what do we know about Peter? I, I love Peter. I know one day I'll get to meet him in heaven and I never want to say too much negative about him. But when you read it, <laughs> when you read it, Peter, John had his head on Jesus' chest, right? What did Peter do? He had his feet in his mouth, basically. No matter what he did, no matter where he said, he was so, he always put his foot in it. You ever, ever have any friends like that? Maybe family members? Maybe you are like that? You know, no matter what Jesus would say to Peter, he would just like, you know, you are the son of God. God is, God is revealed to Peter by his spirit, who Jesus is. And Jesus says to him, I'm paraphrasing here. Who does the world say I am? Oh, John the Baptist, maybe Elijah. Who do you say I am, Peter? You are, G you are Jesus, the Son of Christ, the living one. Lord, who, to, who can we go to? You have the words of life. Wow. Stop right there, mate. But no, what does he do? He then goes on to say when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, Peter says, yo, you're not going to go to the cross. Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. I mean, wow. They're up on the Mount of Transf Transfiguration. The cloud of glory comes. You can just picture it. It's like one of those moments in worship. Lumi's just led us there. The song is glorious. And Peter gets up on the mic and says, like totally out of character, out of the space, this is great. I'm going to bring my tent and I'm going to build it right here. Uh, ben, go home right now. Bring me my tent. I want to put it up on the stage. You know, he put his foot in it. What, what does God have to do from heaven? A voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son. Listen to him. 
between the lines. Peter, zip it. Get your foot out of your mouth, mate. Peter personifies action. Regardless of all his lovely idiosyncrasies, he was never afraid to do something, was he? He was the first to, it didn't matter even if his foot ended up in his mouth, he was going to do it. He was a man of action. And John, he was a man of intimacy. John just wanted to be about Jesus' presence. He just wanted to be with God. You read John's gospel, it's like the Father loves us and we love the Father and we're one with the Father and the Father's one with us. It's just the most intimate book of the relationship we have but if you look here God doesn't just say church you have to be a church of action you have to go and do all the stuff God also doesn't just say to church just come just come on a Sunday and worship me that's all you have to do he says I want action and I want intimacy and I want to put them together and when you put action and intimacy together let me tell you miracles will follow you wherever you go let me tell you, when we take the power that we get from being with God in a Sunday meeting, when we take the power that we get from being with God in the prayer times, and wherever your prayer time is, it could be when you're driving to work and you put that CD on in the car and you are worshiping. You don't care who's pulling up next to you and if they think you're on the phone talking to someone. I'm worshiping God because this is my intimate place where I am drawing power. But then I go and I move into a place of action when I'm with my colleagues. And I'm talking like me. My colleagues are all church people, so it's really, really easy. You better hope you can talk about Jesus with your church colleagues, church work colleagues, right? <laughs> colleagues, Ryan, I get that word up. God is saying to us, here's the picture. I want you to be a church of intimacy and action. I want you to be a church who knows what it is to go. But when you go, you love. I want you to be a church who goes because you love. Anyone heard of Matt Redman? Fantastic worship leader, written so many songs. One of the songs he wrote was this, let, let worship be the fuel for mission's flame. And I remember watching a video about it and he said, the reason that we go is worship. The reason that we're a church of action is because we worship God. Worship is me ministering to God. It is me being changed by God, me being touched by God. But if it stops there, it's not full worship. It has to take us on into a point of action. We had a great time in, in life group just talking about some of the, these tensions. I and mean, One of the things that we heard over the conference was that we are an authentic community that grows in greater glory. And, and sometimes there's, there's this tension between, just, just think about you and your workplace. There's this tension. Lord, I know that I could say something right now that's going to bring heaven on earth for this person. But if I do it, will I ruin... If, is it too early? Am I going to step in something and ruin the relationship? You know, are they going to think differently? We used, we used quite some interesting words. And we realized if we are motivated by love for that person above my opinion of what that person would think of me, that will not stop me from doing what I need to do in that situation. I know I've used a work example, but even in our families, even in our homes, let love be the motivation and love will lead you into the greatest action. No longer are we going to be a people, a church, who are satisfied with just coming and singing worship on a Sunday and how amazing it's been. But that is going to transform us to become people of action in our day-to-day -day places. The world needs us to shine, friends. The world is shining his light upon us. Past competition was erased. Jesus has paired them as a power partnership, intimacy and action. What, what before was um, 
competition between these two people, now God had put on a spirit of unity. A Psalm 133 blessing. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil that falls down, even on the bed of Aaron. And I've already said to look around, but here's another thing I want you to know. God has positioned you in this church on this Sunday, the 3rd of July, for such a time as this, because you are power partnerships. Even as you look around, there's people here, you are going to do great exploits together. We, as the leaders of, your, of the church, we're so grateful that you're here because you are the body and we together are going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. I, I want you to wake up in the morning and realize that, wow, God, you've paired me with someone today. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek you in intimacy and it's going to bring about such an action. And then guess what? Life becomes exciting. Really, really exciting. The second thing is this. They went to the, where were they going in this, in this narrative? They were going to the temple. They were going about the daily devotions. And we've read before in Acts 2 verse 42, we, we quote this a lot, that the, the people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to, the, to breaking of bread, which was eating meals in that sense, and to prayer. And sometimes I ask myself, what does it look like to be devoted to prayer? Well, in the very next chapter, Luke, who wrote the book, is explaining it to us. What they did is they continued to go around the daily routines and the patterns of Judaism. You see, we as Christians know all what, what we know about Christianity, what's been taught, what we understand from Paul's letters. And sometimes we forget our foundations. You know, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, he wasn't separating them. He was linking them, and I've mentioned this already when I said we're a church who knows God's story and God's uh, future present. We're linking the two. That's why it's so important that we understand the full word of God. That's why you've heard Trevor say that he's ripped out. I think you've actually done it, haven't you? Ripped out that piece of paper in his Bible. <laughs> it was blank. Sorry. Yeah, let me, let me just clarify that before you guys are... I'm really leaving you out to hang here, aren't I? So in, in our Bibles, there's a page that separates the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are really two covenants. There are really many, many covenants in the Old Testament. Let me tell you this, friends. God has taken his people on a journey throughout hundreds and hundreds of years. And that journey, he has always made adjustments so that he can speak right into what he's doing in that season of mankind on earth. And there's a page that authors have added that's blank that says Old Testament, New Testament. And what we do as New Testament believers living in the fullness. <laughs> I don't know if the camera's going to get that. Oh, we're really going there today. Is that we think, well, that's Old Testament. I don't need to worry about that. I'm doing New Testament. Let me tell you, that was not the church that the, that the Holy Spirit birthed after the day of Pentecost. They were going to the temple to pray. Let me tell you even more. They were going around it in the, in the daily routine. It was, it was almost the mundane thing. If you were a Jew... In Jerusalem at that time, you would go and pray. You would pray in the morning prayer. You'd pray at the, at the, after, at the lunchtime prayer, which is 12 o'clock. And you'd pray at the 9 o'clock prayer, uh, ninth hour, which was actually 3 p.m. Okay? And so they were going around the daily things. Here's what I want you to know. God is about to show up in your mundane daily routines. When you pair intimacy with action, you don't have to change your day-to-day -day routine. 
just get on with it, but expect God to show up because straight away you were ready. You say, God, intimacy in action, that's what I'm joining together. Just go around your day-to-day routine. You might feel like it's mundane, but always have an opportunity for God to move. He's about to show up in that way. He's about to move in that way. But here's what what I'm wanting to say as well. They were not walking away from the foundations of God's story with, with mankind. God is building everything upon it. He's laid a foundation and he's building another foundation. If you think about this with, um, with trees and with plants, I'm a pretty good gardener. I, I think I'm all right. And there was once a plant in the front that I thought that would look really nice at the back. And I dug it up and it was a hot I know I can't believe I'm saying this. It was a hot day in England. It was a hot day. The sun was shining down on me. I had my, my, my spade. And the deeper I got, the harder the earth got. And I was really struggling to get these roots out. And I realized, I'm not going to be able to get these plants' roots out. And this okay, it was a hydrangea. Anna loved this white hydrangea. <laughs> and I just couldn't get the roots out. I, I was digging as much as I could. And I thought, man, do you know what? There's a little bit of a root there. That should be enough, right? I took the hydrangea from the front, I planted it in the back, I watered it loads, and for the next two days it looked amazing. For the next two days I was like, look how nice your plant looks in the back garden, Anna. But let me tell you, day three, things started to wilt a little bit. By day four, I was in the (laughs) doghouse. (laughs) By day five, I was praying, I was interceding. Lord Jesus, grow roots on this thing, like whatever happens. Here's the point I'm trying to make. And I will just come back and tell you, I bought another hydrangea. (laughs) It's beautiful. We love each other. The garden is great. But here's the thing I'm trying to say. If you move something away from its roots and expect it to still have life, you're kidding yourself. If you move something away from its foundations and expect to keep building successfully, it's not going to work. The blueprints God is giving us are overlaid upon the foundations that have already been laid. And I just want to take a minute here just to honor Trevor and Sharon. Anna and I, we want you to know, church, that as we continue this amazing story of Revival Fires, this church in Dudley, we are building on the same foundations. I want you to know the foundations are not going to change. I want you to know that what has been laid by hard work, by faithful service, and by all of your lives, by what you guys have poured into this, the foundations are not changing. We're, you're not going to, don't worry, you're not going to come to church and expect to see different things. The name's not going to change. Nothing is changing. We are continuing to build up. That's the way it builds. We're going up. Yeah, and... Let's just give, let's honor Trevor and Sharon. We want to thank you, Jesus, for the foundation that you guys have laid in this place. It's a glorious foundation. It's a foundation we can build on. It's a foundation our lives can be added and we can see the kingdom of God rising and expanding. This is what we mean. And it's good to be real, isn't it? So they continued, they were diligent in the daily. They didn't miss God in the mundane. There was a breakthrough. And, and I love this as well. The chapter just before is Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. There's 120 people in the upper room. It's, it's, it's actually nine in the morning, which is interesting because it's that hour of prayer. And, and people think that they're drunk. And 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. And yet the very next story, Peter and John touch one man. 
Let me tell you, church, we are about the many and the one. God's church is about the many and the one. God's church is about the one and the many. A place where many can come and can worship God. And you as an individual, in your uniqueness, God knows you. He knows his, your story with you. He knows what you're going through. He knows the things, even to use it today, that you were laying down this morning at the front. And He is going to touch you and He is going to be with you. Because that's our God. That's the church He's done. it. I don't know how He does it. It's amazing. He's about the many and He's about the one. So there's a little bit more to get into here. What happens at the ninth hour? It's not just the coincidence that, the, that these things happen, but the ninth hour was actually the hour of the evening the afternoon sacrifice in the temple. Throughout the Bible, there's a number of things that have happened at this very same time. And this is what I'm saying. We would miss this richness if you just said, I'm in the new covenant. I don't need to know what God's done. What God's done in the past is your story. What God's done in the past is our story. That's why we can stand and we can preach about the nation of Israel. We can preach about the prophets. We can preach about Adam and Moses and everything else and about King David. Because that story is our story. Because we've been grafted into the root, the foundation. This is our root, church. How rich is it? How good is God that He hasn't just said, I'm, you know, you guys got it all wrong. Let's just start again. Come away and start again. He says, come away and dig, plug yourself in to the root that He's got. So what happens at the ninth hour? It was that hour when Elijah called down fire on the altar. There was a, a big, big spiritual dilemma in the nation of Israel. And the, the uh, prophets of Baal were, were trying to call down and there was a debate as to whose God was real. And Elijah said, he who answers with fire, he will be the real God. What time did God answer with fire? It was at the ninth hour. What time did Jesus die on the cross? It was at the ninth hour. He was crucified around three. That's when he, he said, my God, my God, why do you forsake me? This was the moment it was complete. It was the ninth hour that Cornelius was praying later on in the book of Acts. If we get to that, not, not today, I promise you. I'm aware of the time. <laughs> There's still another good hour to go. It was at the ninth hour that Cornelius had a vision of an angel turning up. And that was the thing that opened the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. It was at the ninth hour that I, that you, were grafted in to the precious promise through Jesus Christ. It's such an important thing. And what's the blueprint here? I want you to know that we are a church that walks in the finished acts of Jesus Christ. We are a church that knows the times and seasons. You see... We are a church that, that lives this. It's in, it's in Ephesians 2 verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's why I'm saying go around, go about your daily mundane routine. It's not mundane anymore because what God has called holy, let no man call profane. And as you go about it, God is going to show up. He's prepared works for you in your workplace. He's prepared works for you in your family, in your relationships. He's prepared works for you. And this, this is amazing. The whole of the Old Testament was called a shadow of the things to come. Have you heard that? The pattern of the temple was a shadow of the things to come. The sacrifice was a pattern and a shadow of the things to come. What came was Jesus. And now we on the church on earth, God's people on earth today, guess what we get to do? We don't live in the shadow, friends. 
we live as a witness of what has happened. If, if this line here is Jesus Christ coming and dying, coming and living a life on earth, coming and raising from the dead, here is the Old Testament shadowing. Everything is pointing. This is all about Jesus. This is always pointing to Jesus. And now we get to live this side of the cross. We get to live in the shadow of the cross, but in the fullness of what was talked about. Can, can, you, can you sense this? Can you sense the excitement of the privilege of the day and age that we live in? We get access about this. Luke starts it by saying, you are to be witnesses of what you have seen and heard in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Are you ready to be a witness? Are you ready to see God move and work in your life? We are witnesses, not just of what Jesus did on the cross, but what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives day by day. I'm going to fast forward a little bit here. What Peter and John did was, was an incredible experience that demanded an explanation. There was a guy called Gerald Coates. He would preach this message in the church. He said, so often the church is explaining something that ne has never happened. But God's pattern in church is that something happens and we have to then explain it. Something happens that demands an explanation. We were talking in our life group. What would it be like if the supernatural broke out in your workplace? And all of a sudden you had to give an explanation. What did you do to the boss? Well, he was, uh, he was on that rant that he goes on again. So I just laid hands on him and I prayed for him. He's shaking around and falling over. What's going on? Well, you see, he has a demon. And the demon is getting cast out of him by Jesus' name. Can you imagine? That would be exciting, don't you think? I would like that. <laughs> I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but what about healing in the workplace? What about someone waking up and coming and saying, I had a dream, and you realize, Lord, love and action, right now, intimacy, this is the moment. Tell me about your dream. What do you think, what did that mean to you? Well, I'm a Christian, and the Holy Spirit is on me, and he's explaining to me what, what that means to you. I mean, come on, why not? Why not? This is what it means to be a witness. Are we witnessing what Jesus has done all those years ago? And that is always enough. You could never get more than that. But the Holy Spirit wants to break in in the daily mundane and he wants to give you something that you can be a witness about. Would you do it, Lord Jesus? Just, just ask him, Lord, would you do it? Make us a people of action and intimacy. Make us a place where heaven can break in at any moment. Make us a place where we have to explain what's happening. Because you've already done it. Wow. I want to be in a church like that, don't you? We are in a church like that, guys. We are. So what, what are some of the keys? Well, Peter and John, they said, look at us. I don't know if you've been to Dudley High Street lately. I don't know where you live. But Dudley High Street is always full of accident claims lawyers. Or people trying to sell me Sky TV. Or see if they can get me a better en energy deal price. I don't know what it is. But here's what happens. I know, as I'm walking down Dudley High Street, that if I make eye contact with them, I'm through. <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, I'm quite a polite guy. So I, if I accidentally make eye contact and, and, and you can see them, like, I got this guy, he, they go talk to their friend, give me extra pamphlets, you know. They get some more pamphlets, they come over to you, I'm like, oh man, I shouldn't have looked you in the eye, and this is my fault. And because I'm, I'm quite a polite guy, like I find it really hard 
to say no. And I'm there for like three hours. I'm like, just having to call my wife. Anna, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late for dinner. What have you done? I've given away my kidney. I've given away my phone number. I mean, these guys know where we live now. I'm sorry about this. You're going to have to cancel Sky, and we're going to get Sky again because I'm like, oh, what is it with... As soon as I make eye contact. So how do we live our lives? We walk around places and we think, just don't look at them. We don't make eye contact, do we? I know I'm joking, but, but think about it. Maybe there is a beggar on the street and you think, and you clock him and you think, I'm not going to look at him because if he sees me and I see him, then I really have to be accountable to God for what I've seen, you know. I'm joking, but I'm being serious. Eye contact. Here's the point I wanted to make with you. Before I do that, I want to tell you a story. We have a dear friend called Ernie Thomas, and he had, the, he had the knack for these guys. So they'd be walking down the high street, we'd be walking with them, we'd just gone to get a pork pie for lunch because that was his delicacy. We're in Dudley. If, if you're watching on the world, I want you to buy a pork pie from somewhere and eat it. Black country delicacy. So he would walk, and these lawyers would catch him and say, excuse me, sir, have you had an accident? And he would say, no, I was born like this. They would not know what to do. It was the best thing ever. I just haven't found one of those for the, these guys who want my kidneys and everything. But anyway, see, God is calling us to make a connection with the world. And so often, we know what it might cost. And I know I've joked with it, but we, we don't demand the connection that the apostles demanded. They'd walk past this guy Every day, because it was their devotion, it was their pattern, they would go daily to the temple courts. They would have passed him, how many times? Three times a day at least. For how many days? Well, it was weeks. They'd probably been there with Jesus. Think about that. Jesus Christ would have walked past this man himself. But Jesus didn't heal him. Why? Because Jesus was saving a work for his body on earth to do. Jesus knows your situation and he's waiting for you to make the connection and it was the holy spirit that came upon remember intimacy intimacy and action they come together it was the holy spirit that came upon peter and john and they realized hold on this is a different moment it's nine ninth hour it's 3 p.m i'm going to the temple like i do every day but something is different today i can feel the spirit within me looking at this guy why am i looking at him church Pay attention to who God directs your gaze upon. Pay attention upon the things that God is directing your attention. It could be an email that comes in and you think, God, what is it about this person? And then take action. Send words of encouragement. Connect. You could be walking past someone in an aisle and you feel God's presence on you. Lord, is this intimacy? Are you just calling me into a moment with you right now? Or are you using love to motivate me into action in this moment? Pay attention. Who is God setting your gaze upon? Even think this week, who is God putting your gaze upon? Because there are people that you are the answer to them. There are people that you might need to partner with. That's what I'm saying. Bring them to church. We'll, we'll do the work for you. <laughs> God's Holy Spirit will do the work for you. Who is God putting your gaze upon? And then this and very important point. God is calling the church to make that connection with the world. Look at us. See, you're looking at me. Look at us. I mean, what faith that takes, because it means that you know that you've got the answer. The world is asking questions. I know we've joked that I've got all the answers. 
The world is asking questions that you have the answer for. But here's the thing. They don't just want you to have the answer by the way that you talk about it and an argument or some morality. They want you to be the answer. Do you you understand the difference? Be the answer in that place. Make the connection. God is calling us to make the connection with the world. We're almost done. I want to just read this verse. Six, Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold. See, what the man wanted was silver and gold. What the world thinks they want is wealth and success and influence and fame. But what they really need is Jesus Christ. What they really need is love, belonging, acceptance. What they really need is a family. And Peter says, I do not possess gold and silver. And I could talk a little bit about this. You know, this does not mean that Peter and John were poor. I'm not going to go long about it, but if you read a couple of verses earlier in verse 46, 45, they were selling their possessions and they were giving to anyone who had need. Can you imagine that you're about to run out on your mortgage payment this month and God makes a way that your mortgage is paid off? Don't tell me that the church was a poor church. It's not about them not having money on them. It was because they had delegated that responsibility to other people. And they were about the Lord's work. And here they came into the temple and he asked for gold and silver. And Peter says, I do not possess gold and silver, but what I do have. Just stop the bus for a minute right there. What I do have. Can we be a church who is confident to know what God has put within us? Can we be a church who is so confident that we can look around and say, don't worry guys, stop the bus. I got this. That, that, don't let that sound arrogant. Let that sound like faith. Let that sound like faith. God, if you have put your spirit within me, if you have raised me up to be a child of God, if you have loved me and equipped me and changed my life on a Sunday morning when I've met you, your presence, if you have filled me with your Holy Spirit, I've got what they need. What I do have, I give. What I do have, I give. In intimacy, I am moving to action and I am giving. I'm making a connection with the world and now I am giving. I'm giving of what God has given me to give. Not what you think you need. Not what you want from me right now. Oh, you're kicking up a storm are you right now. You want attention. I'll tell you what you really need. You need a touch of peace. Let me pray for you. Let me put my hand on your shoulder. You're going to feel peace like you've never felt before. What is that? Where does it come from? That's the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit because I believe in Jesus. And He has filled me with His presence. What do you have? Come on, look to the person next to you and say, What I have. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. We are called to be the answer. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 10. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Cleanse those with leprosies, cast out demons, freely you've received, freely give. And I want to end with this. I think this is the end. Yeah, we need, we need to come to an end. We've got next week and the week after that. <laughs> so, yeah, come and join us next week. But here, yeah, I want to end with this. What happened, and, and we'll talk, I think we're going to talk next week about the power of the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. I mean, did you feel it in this place? You have no rival you have no equal. There is power in the name of Jesus. What do we have in us? Let me tell you, what you have upon you is the power of the name of Jesus. 
That's what God's given to you. The power of the name of Jesus. Let's use it. And this man, he, he, Peter, Peter, he desires a response from this guy. That's why we're a church who loves response. Let me, let me just put that right out there. This is right out there. This is the foundation. We love to have you come and respond at the front because something happens. Peter didn't just pray for him, silver and gold, I have number. What I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. So is it happening? Walk. You know, no, he grabs him by his hand and he pulls him up on his feet. And as he goes, John, who was a doctor, let me tell you, he is, read it again, he is detailing it. It's like a medical miracle. His ankle strengthened, then his knee strengthened, then, then this happened by his right hand and he walks. There is a response that happens. But here's the point I want to make. He comes into the temple and he says, in walking and leaping and praising God. There is no coincidence that Luke has written this because it is straight out of a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 35. And I want to read it to you, okay? Because what is happening is Luke is saying that what you are witnessing is the new creation that was prophesied about. What you are witnessing is you are stepping in to the root system, the foundation of what God always said he wanted to do. We are walking in the prophetic made manifest in our lives. We have had so many people up here prophesy and speak about our town. Let me tell you, we just have to walk in the prophetic of what God said. We just have to grab it by the hand and pull it out. And what we do is we are a church that makes a lame world dance again. What a calling. Lord, let us be a church that makes a lame world dance again. Let me read a couple of these. This is Isaiah 35. In the wilderness, the desert will rejoice. The desert will shout for joy and blossom like the crocus. It will blossom profusely with joy and it will rejoice and jubilation. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Lord, let us see your glory in greater ways. Strengthen the exhausted. Make the feeble strong. Say to those with anxious hearts, take courage. Fear not. Look, here it is. God is weaving this all together. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come and he will save you. Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened. The ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Those who limp will leap like a deer and the tongues of those who cannot speak will shout for joy for waters will burst forth from the wilderness and streams in the desert. You can go and read the whole thing. But God is working his wonders. He has blind eyes to open. He has uh, lame legs that he wants to leap with joy. He has anxious hearts he wants to bind up. He has fear he wants to remove. He has hope he wants to give. And he's asked us to go. He's asked us to go and be his body. Are you up for that? What he's asked us to do is to be a church which opens a gate that is beautiful upon the world. How beautiful it is are the feet of those who bring good news. We are the ones who say, come, I'm going to open a door to you. That's the most beautiful gate because it's a door to Jesus Christ. What a beautiful privilege. Lord Jesus, would you do that in our lives? Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed by it. You can stay connected with all that God is doing here and be resourced by subscribing to our YouTube channel, our podcast channel, following us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Revival Fires, giving and sowing into the ministry at our website, www.revivalfires.org.uk.